So um, that's right. No, Vincent Parker kind of reminds me of my daughter. She used to, she had a friend in high school and she came over to our house and she had some, she wore some camo galoshes, you know, and I couldn't bring myself to compliment them, but I said, man, those are crazy. And she looked at me and she was on to me and she goes, thanks, I guess. So, so that's, uh, you know, um, uh, Mark Davis, many of you know that, that Mark, before he was our head pastor, was our youth director. And um, <clears throat> one time I was sitting in a, at a talk that he was giving to the, to the youth group. And he told him, he said, if, if, if you're not walking with the Lord, I don't want you to leave here feeling guilty. He said, I want you to leave here feeling stupid. And I thought, you know, that's pretty good, you know, because if I, if, I, um, if I told you, listen, I'm going to leave an envelope with $100,000 out on the couch in the back with your name on it, pick it up on your way out, it's yours. And you walked out of here and forgot the envelope and went to the office, and you're sitting there at the office, and you realize you've left that $100,000, you know, your reaction is not to feel guilty. Your reaction is to feel stupid. You go, golly, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and I'm going to get that envelope. Um, and, and if your work is like mine, that $100,000 is, is more valuable than whatever you're doing at the office today, you know? <laughs> and so... Um, and so, really, that's what prayer is. Um, in, in a certain sense, um, if our prayer life is not what it should be, um, we should feel more stupid than guilty in a certain sense, right? Um, and so, what a worthy thing that for this summer we're going to focus on prayer because if we saw clearly, if we saw clearly, we would pray and we would pray more. And so um, what better way to see clearly than to look at this whole subject from God's Word. Um, Vincent last week talked about um, the Lord's Prayer, but he looked at a parable where um, he admonished us, where the parable admonished us to pray with importunity. Do you remember that word importunity? And he rightly defined that word shamelessness. Um, and I, and I went out and I thought, you know, um, praying shamelessly is kind of a hard thing because the closer you get to God, the more you grow as a Christian, the more you see the holiness of God, the more you see your unholiness, right? And so there's a, a, a tendency for a certain shame or a certain guilt or a certain distance to develop as you begin to appreciate the holiness of God. Does that make sense? And so I want to pick up with shame for just a minute, because if we're going to be shameless, if we're going to pray with importunity, um, if we're going to bother God, as that parable and a parable we'll look at today almost implies, then we need to know what to do 
with that sense of distance and that sense of shame. And I want to look at Isaiah 6, 1 through 8 to start. This is the commissioning of Isaiah to be a prophet of God. Very famous passage, great passage. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one seraphim flew to me, having his hand, in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Um, you know, there's three reactions that I can think of to shame, okay? And you're driven to one of three places with shame, with this guilt, with this sense of distance, this sense that, that my life is not measuring up to what God calls me to do. It might not be an act. It might not be a particular sin, but it just might be this sense that of the holiness of God and in, in, in of my unholiness. Even though we're born again, even though we're regenerate, even though we're sons of God, even though we have a new identity, there's still a sense of distance in there sometimes. And the more you see God and His holiness, uh, the more you kind of feel that. So what do you do with that? How do you come boldly into the presence of God? How do you come into the presence of God shamelessly when that sense of distance is there in your soul? Um, and it's interesting in this passage because um, um, what happens is a, a seraphim takes a coal and touches it to Isaiah's lips and... Um, and and he is and his sin is atoned for. Uh, but the three responses that we can sometimes have um, to shame: the first is that it drives you away from God. Okay. The second is that it can drive you to compensate in order to justify yourself before God. And I would suggest to you that both of those responses are really driving you away from the Lord. Um, the first one is obvious. The second one um, drives you to be your own savior, in a sense. It, it says, you know what? I'm going to try to live a life 
that justifies me before this holy God. I'm going to ramp it up. I feel this distance. I'm going to try to, I'm going to go on a self-improvement binge. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do Bible study. I'm going to do better on my quiet times. Um, and so you, you compensate in order to justify. And the third is that it drives you to the cross. And that is, of course, the right response. And if you look at the order of what happened in this, in this, uh, this uh, passage in Isaiah, that's exactly what happened, is that his sin was atoned for. Uh, he saw the distance. He saw the shame. And then a seraphim touched the coal to his lips. His sin was atoned for. And then service. And then he was called to serve. He wasn't, he wasn't serving to atone for his sin. He wasn't trying to justify himself. He couldn't justify himself. He had to be cleansed by the Lord and then to be justified. And so, um, uh, just by way of illustration, um, Rankin Wilborn has a, a book that I recommend called Union with Christ. And in it, he tells a story of a uh, friend of his, a girl that had had some some issues with shame and with identity and with performance and acceptance and not measuring up until she got a job at Disney World. And her job at Disney World was to be Mickey Mouse. And so every morning for a whole summer, she would put on for eight hours a day Mickey Mouse, right? That the costume and she would travel around the park and all of a sudden she had no problem with identity or acceptance because thousands of people are running to her loving on her hugging her you know she's worn out you know incredible acceptance um and she realized that um that really that's what God has done for us. He has given us the righteousness of Christ to wrap ourselves in. And so God, when God responds to us, he's not responding to that distance. He's not responding to that unholiness. He's not responding to that sin. He's, he's responding to us in the way that he responds to his son, uh, with whom he's well pleased, as he said two times on the earth. Um, he's responding to us as he responds to his son. And so we wrap ourselves in Christ and we come to him and we pray with importunity. We pray shamelessly um, uh, in, in, into his presence and, um, and realize that, that Mickey Mouse is the king of Disney World, right? And so when you're wrapped in Mickey Mouse, you, you're wrapped with the king. When you're wrapped with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you're wrapped with the King of Heaven. And so when you go into the presence of your God, you go into that presence by His grace, by His sovereign will. He established it. But when He sees you, He sees the righteousness of His Son. And so it's in that spirit that we come uh, with boldness and with importunity before our God. Now I want to talk about healing. Um, in some ways, I feel like sort of a rookie 
uh, as it regards healing. Um, as an elder in this church, I've prayed for healing over people for over 10 years. Um, and um, I'll show you all, I don't know if any of you all in this room have been prayed over by our elders, but the passage that we use is in James 5. I want to read it to you. It's on your sheet. This is what we'll read, and then we'll anoint the sick in our church with oil, and then we'll pray over them. James 5, 13 through 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So um, after praying this prayer over numerous people for numbers of years, um, I began to wonder about a year and a half if the Lord didn't have more for us as a church in this area, as elders in this church. Um, if um, maybe um, in, in the verse that came to my mind, it's the next verse on the page, uh, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Um, and I began to think about, you know, is there something we're leaving on the table, right? Um, let's pursue the Lord regarding this whole subject of healing. Let's ask for a special anointing on our church and on our people because there's so many people that are sick. And they're not just sick physically. They're sick spiritually. They're sick emotionally. They're sick relationally. And, and, and you know, and, and so am I in some ways. And so what, what would the Lord have for us? And um, I remember I went on a silent retreat, uh, which I highly recommend. Um, and Mark Davis was on that tree, retreat, and Mike McMahon, an elder in this church. And Mike and I were uh, providentially paired with each other, and um, we began to talk about this whole idea of healing. And and we're really one spirit of it. What does the Lord, what if the Lord gave us a special anointing of healing? Let's ask Him for it. Let's loose this in heaven through prayer. Let's pray for it. Let's ask the Lord to do a work in this way in our body. And so we began to pray, and, um, and Jack Denman and Bob McCamey uh, joined us, and we began to pray for now for over a year. Um, we've met once a week to ask for this anointing and to pray over the sick in our church uh, for physical, emotional, spiritual, relational healing. And um, so it's in that context that, that, that Pat asked me to, to speak on this whole subject of prayer for healing. And the, the passage, the main passage that I want us to focus on 
regarding healing. This is what has been on my heart um, as we've been praying. This passage has kind of come to the, to the surface. And, um, and so I want to look at it. It's Luke 18, 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Um, It's interesting Every parable, I guess, is an admonition from the Lord. But this parable starts with an admonition and ends with an admonition, and the parable itself is an admonition. Um, It starts with this interesting preamble. It says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And I want to ask you, have you ever lost heart? Um, and praying for healing. Have you ever lost heart? Have you ever just kind of said, I'm going to quit now. This isn't working. Have ever, you ever been there? I've been there before. Um, you know, this is another parable that's calling us to importunity, just like last week's parable that Vincent shared with us. Um, Importunity means persistence is another definition. Shamelessness is is a good one. But persistence, especially to the point of arrogance or intrusion. Um, And so it seems that the Lord is calling us to pray and not lose heart, to come into His presence shamelessly with importunity, to the point of arrogance or intrusion. The implication is just keep bugging him. Just keep praying. And then it ends with such an interesting phrase at the end where Jesus says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And so the implication is that The way faith is expressed is through importunity, persistence, to not lose heart, to keep coming, to keep coming, to keep coming, to keep coming. So I don't know what issues of healing are in your life today. I don't know if they're spiritual. I don't know if they're relational. I don't know if they're emotional. Um, I don't know if they're physical. Whatever they are. This parable is an admonition to not lose heart, 
to pray with importunity over and over and over again. You know, um, we've, um, I don't know if y'all have been to them, but we've had two healing services at our church. Never had a healing service where we ask our people to come on a Sunday night. The elders came, um, the, 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 the whole board of elders, great turnout um, of people and elders, and we prayed over our people on two nights. Um, next time we have one, which we'll have one early in the fall, uh, come to it. Even if you're not coming for healing, just come to it. It's a great service. There's a great spirit there. And people are being healed at that service. But, um, but in preparing for that service, this group of elders, we, we, we called people, you know, and, and I called, um, I'm, I'm talking about people at different churches that have these healing services. I remember I called a, a charismatic church that I, that I respected and I called the minister and he spent probably 20 minutes on the phone with me. And I said, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a healing service. I knew that in certain ways, maybe doctrinally, I wouldn't see everything the same way that he saw it. But I do respect the fact that they pray for healing. They, and, and they have some um, experience that I didn't have. And so I said, you know, tell me, what would you tell me? What wisdom would you give me about healing and about a healing service? And one of the first things he said, which was really encouraging to me, he said, he said, don't tell them to focus on their faith. Don't make it about their faith. Make it about the Lord. Have you ever been to one of these things? You're just not praying hard enough. You're just not believing. You know, you're just not, you know, and so it's kind of like trying to not think about a pink elephant in the room. You know, you just, you're just trying to believe so hard, you know. And, and I think what this parable is saying is that Faith expresses itself, not in that way, but it, it expresses itself in persistence and continuing to come to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to, believe, to, it's impossible to please him because those who come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And he wants that over and over and over again over whatever your issue is, whatever your loved one's issue is, whatever your friend's issue is. Um, and so um, I want to read um, a passage in um, 1 Kings that kind of illustrates what I've just said. And just to set the table for this, this is Elijah. Remember uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel? Uh, had a kind of a run-in with the prophets of Baal, Ahab, incredible story, my, my kids' favorite story. They loved hearing this story, mainly because um, Elijah asked the prophets of Baal if their God was off relieving himself. They always liked that part. But, um, so let's read uh, 1 Kings 18, 41 through 46. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink. For, and by the way, we've had a year and a half of drought. Excuse me, three and a half years of drought. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. 
And he said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind. And there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. What I want to point out to you is Elijah didn't pray once and the rain came. How many times did he pray? Seven. Seven times. And a little cloud like a hand was coming out of the sea. And he said, okay, go tell him it's coming. You know, it's coming. And, um, and this is a picture. And, and if you look back at the passage I read that we pray over people, the subject in James is healing, right? What, what does James, what, what does James bring up? He brings up this story. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. But what he could have said is, then he prayed again, but it took seven times, and the heaven gave rain. And so, um, and so the point is, be persistent. Uh, don't give up. Keep praying. Um, I don't mean to imply that the Lord is going to answer every prayer for healing in the way that we hope that He will, the way that we're praying that He will answer every prayer for healing. Um, Tim Keller has a great quote on prayer, um, and it's on your handout. It says, In short, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. Um, and I believe that God heals what needs healing the most. In line with this, that God heals what needs healing the most in us. I, I've observed people with difficult issues in this church, um, physical issues, emotional issues, spiritual issues, relational issues. And one thing that's consistent with all of them, especially those that don't get immediate healing, is that they might not get that healing, but they get the Lord in a deeper and fuller and richer way. And many of those people will tell you that getting the Lord in a deeper and richer and fuller way was better than the healing that they were seeking. That it was worth it. It was worth my cancer. It was worth whatever, whatever. Um, that through that whole process, um, that an itch was scratched in them that they didn't even know they had. Um, and that the Lord met them in that way and healed something different. They, he healed them spiritually when they really wanted healing physically. Um, but so I submit that the Lord sometimes heals that which needs healing the most in us. Um, so people come to me and they say, you know, why 
and I'm sure they've come to you. You know, why is the Lord doing this in me? And, you know, you, you never want to say, well, I'll tell you how he's doing. This is exactly what he's doing, you know. But one thing I always say when someone says something like that or asks something like that is I say, I don't know, but I can tell you one thing that he's doing. I believe he's doing one thing. This is not the whole thing that he's doing. I'm sure. I'm sure, you know, it's in the mind of God. But one thing that he's doing is that he's humbling you. Um, he's showing you the end of yourself and coming to the end of yourself, which physical and spiritual and emotional and relational trauma brings us to, right? He's bringing you to the end, end of yourself. And coming to the end of yourself is a terrifying thing, but it's a wonderful thing because it's at that point that you really trust God because you have nothing else to trust and you can no longer trust in yourself. You know, trying to run your life, trying to control your life is a spiritual sickness. It's like, it's like calling the three stooges to fix your plumbing, you know? It just is not going to turn out well, you know? Now come back, you know, I know you all, we've all seen that. It's great to talk to men, you know, because women don't understand the depth of the Three Stooges. <laughs> um, so let's look at um, one last passage, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. And this is Paul's thorn in the flesh, that passage. And if you, if you remember, Paul had, had been given uh, special revelation from God. Uh, he, he, he couldn't speak of it. He didn't tell us exactly what it was. But in relation to that revelation, he says, so to keep, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What Paul is saying in this passage is that the Lord told him, that there was a deeper healing, uh, there was a deeper work um, that he needed than having the thorn in the flesh removed, which was some kind of a, probably some type of physical infirmity as far as we know. We don't know what it was. It's good that we don't know what it was because, um, because lots of things can be thorns in the flesh for us. But, um, but it took Paul to a good place with God a place that fed his soul and that fed souls of other people through him. So sometimes um, God heals something different than what we're hoping he'll, he'll heal through uh, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual difficulties. Um, just 
a couple of final thoughts uh, about prayer, and then we're going to go to our tables and and um, and look at at the five questions. Um, my wife Leslie called one day, and it was kind of late morning, and I asked her how she was doing, and she said, "I'm okay." And I said, "What do you mean? Okay, you know, okay is not okay, right?" And so uh, she said, "Oh, I just." I'm a little out of sorts. She said, I, I didn't, didn't get to have a devotional with the Lord this morning, and I'm just kind of out of sorts. And she's not rigid or legalistic about that kind of thing. I mean, she, she, she does normally have a, a quiet time, but, I, but I, said, I said, are you feeling guilty? And she said, no, I'm not, I'm not feeling guilty. And I said, well, do you miss him? And she said, yeah, that's it. I miss him. And um, the reason she missed him is because Leslie has a deep relationship with the Lord. She knows the Lord, and she meets with him every day. And when you begin a devotional life, it's kind of rigid. It's kind of, golly, do I have to read the Bible today? Do I have to say my prayers today? But as you do it, as you engage in it, as you make it the pattern of your life, as you set aside time alone with the Lord, not on the way to work, I'm talking about alone with the Lord. Um, maybe it's in the morning, maybe it's in the evening, it doesn't matter when it is. You begin to know Him. And when you miss it, it's not a feeling of guilt. It's a feeling of loss. It's a feeling of missing Him. Um, and as you begin to meet with him, you learn not just his word, but you learn his voice so that you know what to speak in every situation throughout the day. Um, final thought, and then we'll go to our tables. Um, some of us are or have been disappointed with God um, over this subject, perhaps, of healing. Or, or, or something in our life. Um, and I just want to admonish us all um, that if you're disappointed with God ever, um, be disappointed in fellowship with Him. That's what the psalmist teaches us, right? The psalmist complained to God uh, with importunity, right? Uh, with persistence. He brought his dissatisfaction. He brought his grievance. He brought his anger to the Lord. So if you're, if you're in that place, be in that place in fellowship with God because it's in that place that he can work out whatever it is he's working in your life and bring to light whatever he's, he, he, he's working. Let's pray and then we'll go to our tables. Father, I... Um, Thank you for your word and that it lives and it's active. Pray, Lord, that um, you would work in us, Father, both the will and the work for your good pleasure, that you would deepen our prayer lives in ways, uh, Father, that would take us to a place of, of spiritual healing, but also physical, emotional, relational, Lord. Pray that we could be prayer warriors, not just for ourselves, but for each other. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.